right. Welcome back to another podcast episode, Podcasts of Farming Assets. If you've joined us for the first time, fantastic. Welcome. We're excited to have you. If you like the content, give us a thumbs up. Feel free to subscribe and feel free to share us as well. Don't keep a secret and give this podcast a link to other friends, family, and colleagues. Again, this is all for you guys and feel free not to keep us a secret. Share this episode with everybody you possibly can. All right, welcome back to our next episode. If you remember, if you're joining us because you're a subscriber and you listen to us regularly, well, we're continuing our Q&A of Brookshire Hathaway's annual meeting in 2023. And the reason why I'm going through their annual meeting is I feel that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have done the best job as an example to you and I, as people who want to work hard, save a little bit of what we worked hard for and build and accumulate wealth for the future. Now, wealth meaning that access to liquidity or capital in the future so we can have whatever lifestyle we, we choose to have. This is a first world problem, by the way. This is, this is not a necessity, but in the first world, there is a requirement or a need for this. Now, I think Buffett being one of the wealthiest people in the world, top 10 for at least the last two, three decades, he has something to say. And I, and I think he's brilliant in understanding how to have access to capital, what to do with that capital. And it's pretty important and pretty impressive. So we're going to continue our, our series in going through Brookshire Hathaway's annual meeting. So as a quick reminder, if, if this is the first time, what we're doing is that they were pre-written in questions. There's a the MC, her, her last name is Quick. She will ask, ask the questions. After that answer to that question, then they're going to go to the live audience. And the live audience is going to ask a question. They just go back and forth, okay? So in this, this episode, we're going to continue on and we're at question 16, which is from the audience. And it says, what advice can you give CEOs about the trade-off between short-term and long-term profits? That's a very good question. Buffett answers by saying, we feel no pressure from Wall Street. We don't make promises. We are working for our shareholders. We are interested in owning a wonderful business forever. We learn as we go along. We know what the right price is, and we know what we think we can project out in terms of consumer behavior and threats to a business. Pretty clear, but there's so much wealth of wisdom in here. Okay, first of all, we feel no pressure from Wall Street. We're not focused on what Wall Street wants. We're not focused on what the rest of the world wants, so to speak, okay? We're focused on our business. And what is our business? Well, our business is we don't make promises because you can't keep promises. You don't have control of a lot of these promises. They understand they're in business, business and there's economic situations, there's world situations that can affect the numbers of your business, so we are working for our shareholders, very focused. What's the focus? Shareholders, not Wall Street. And we're not making promises. We're working for our shareholders by doing what? By owning wonderful businesses forever. That's the interest. When we buy a business, meaning we, Brookshire Hathaway, when we buy a business, we're going into a lifetime commitment is their mentality. Okay? So there's a pretty strict criteria. Think about your partnership with your significant other or your business partners. Are these relationships that you can have lifetime benefits from? Okay. We learn as we go, right? Stuff happens, right? And because stuff happens, we have opportunities to learn. 
stuff like good and bad. So, you know, the world society will say failure and success. It doesn't matter. There's learning opportunities. We learn as we go. Situations pop up. Great. Let's keep doing this. This, this was a good outcome. How, how do we keep doing this? Or Ooh, this wasn't so good. How do we learn from this and make changes so we have great outcomes? We know what the right price is, and we know what we think we can project out in terms of consumer behavior and threats to a business. We know our numbers. So what do you need to know for short-term, long-term profits? You need to know these things. Okay. If you're a startup, it's hard to know these things. But you so you need to look at the industry. You need to look at your competition. You look, you need to look at your situation and what's going to make you different to help you be uh, have short-term and long-term profits. What do you do with those profits? Now, Munger tells Buffett, hey, Buffett, he doesn't say that. He says, tell him about the Japanese companies. Okay. Now, Buffett goes on to a long answer. So Buffett says, hey. All right, Charlie, here we go. He said, the the Japanese companies were earning 14% on what we were going to pay to buy them. They were paying decent dividends. They were going to repurchase shares in some cases. They owned a whole bunch of businesses that we could understand as a group. We could take out currency risk by financing in in Japan at a half a percent. If you get 14% on one side and a half a percent on the other, you have money forever, and they are doing intelligent things, and they are sizable, so we just start buying them. When we hit 5% in all of them, we announced on my 90th birthday that we owned over 5%, which is a securities exchange kind of commission, securities exchange commission requirement. Recently, we went over for the first time to visit them. We were more than pleasantly surprised. Now we own 7.4% of them and we will go not will not go over 9.9% without their agreeing. So here's his answer before, right? Know your numbers, your relationships. So now, now he knows his numbers. He understands what the situation is. All of this without going over there. All of this without seeing the actual physical facilities and businesses, but a from phone conversations, I'm sure some sort of Zoom conversation, as well as the financials asking questions. And so after after have owning 5%, they go visit. They're like, whoa, let's add another. So they added another 2.4% for a total of 7.4. And they have a plan not to go over 10% without the other companies agreeing. Okay. This is a big deal. This becomes a big deal when a company is 10% owner of another. So it's a he's showing a responsible relationship of a partner. Okay. Now we are four or five billion ahead plus dividends. So they've made four or five billion, not including dividends, on this deal or these deals. So now Buffett goes on and says, I went over there partly to introduce Greg to those people because we are going to be with them for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. From now, so Buffett knows he's ninety. You got to the business, our shareholders. We're going to do this forever. So I'm going to introduce our partners to one of our other partners, Greg, to show them how we can stay in business for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Okay, they may occasionally find something that we can do jointly. Berkshire is the largest borrower, other than corporate borrowers outside of Japan. Okay. So pretty cool. I like that. I find that impressive. What's that mean to you and I? 
it, you know, honestly, it just means that, you know, there's in business, the question was short and long-term profits and everything Buffett talked about was relationships. Hmm. Something to be said about the very basics. Now, okay, away from the audience, now to quick. Professor Dam Dorian from NYU is not comfortable with positions becoming a large part of his portfolio. Since Apple is now over 30, 35% of Brookshire's portfolio, is that a problem? Munger says, I think he's out of his mind. Buffett has something else to say. Buffett says, Apple's not 35% of Brookshire's portfolio. Brookshire's portfolio includes the railroad, the energy business, Grand Aminals, Seas Candies, etc. They are all businesses. The good thing about Apple, our state can increase. They buy in their stock, and instead of owning 5.6%, we get 6%. But we can't own more than 100% of BNSF. Apple is a greater business than any we own. People pay $1,500 for a phone, $35,000 for a second car. If they had to give up a second car or give up their iPhone, they would give up a second car. So I can't disagree, right? And here's the difference between traditional people seeing Buffett as a and as an investor and what how he got into business as partnerships. But Buffett never got into businesses at investing as being just a shareholder. He got into buying businesses or being a shareholder of good businesses for long-term relationships. As his investment paralysis and knowledge grew, what did he do? He had enough capital to actually buy whole companies. So Apple is not 35% of their portfolio. Now, the, the professor may look at just his investment portfolio in stock investments that they don't own 100% of the portfolio. Buffett's saying, ah, time out. No, we own 100% of a railroad company, 100% of energy businesses, 100% of seized candies, right? Those are all stock. They own, they own those 100%. What he's saying is here is that the good thing about Apple is that when Buffett owns 5.6%, as Apple goes in and buys back more repurchasing of their shares, they're, they're reducing the overall dilution of shares out there. So they're decreasing the number of shares, which increases the value and the stock value of the share. So if Buffett bought 56 Apple buys back more shares, it increases the value of Buffett's investment up to 6%. He didn't add any more money. Apple was doing that and increasing value for the shareholders, okay? So this is what, what's really important to understand from 2008, when we had the financial crisis, we had investments go down, we had everything go down. So interest rates went down, right? The banks, the economy, the government said, hey, time out. We're going to do quantitative easing. Time out. We're going to zero out interest. The Fed rate, hey, time out. We're going to make uh, access to capital a lot easier, meaning cheaper. So what happened was before that, Apple had zero. As an example, Apple had zero debt. So when 08 happened, what occurred? It became so inexpensive to borrow money that Apple went and did that. And what they do with that money? They started buying back their own shares, increasing their valuation. So other companies started to do the same thing. 
So from 08 to now, within the last few years, we're starting to see now companies are starting to slow down their repurchase programs. Why? Because the economic environment is changing. Why? Because the current administration is changing it. They lost control over it. And purposely or unpurposely does not matter. They lost control over it. And so the economic outcome looks less. So the repurchasing is a prudent because interest rates are higher and it's more expensive to borrow or have access to capital. So that's what's happened with the stock market over the years. Now, because we are in a good, strong economy and you and I as consumers were consuming, we also had an economy that was getting stronger. Okay. And so if Apple can buy back their shares with cheap money, it doesn't matter if the shares become more expensive. It's cheap money. So what's going to happen now is that as the economy drops and Apple's, let's say Apple's stock starts dropping because that's what shareholders do. They start unleashing stock and start selling, creating more liquidity. Okay. What, what's going to happen? Well, if their stock goes down, it gets cheaper. So now Apple can actually use their own capital, their own cash that they have been storing up since the money was so cheap, capital was so cheap and to borrow. Then they can use their own coffers to continue to repurchase shares at the right price. They stopped because they want to see where the pricing of their stock goes. It has to go back down to a, a comfortable economic without their involvement, meaning without them repurchasing, okay? Now, this is not investment advice. This is the basics of how the supply and demand of stocks work, buy and sell of stocks. This is just the basic value of it. And this is what's occurring, okay? This is a part of what is occurring. So that's what Buffett's saying is that, man, I can own 100% of a railroad company, but I'm not gonna own 100% of Apple. So I have a greater possible valuation of Apple increasing without me really adding more money. You can't add, you can't own more than hundred percent of a business like he already does. And then he explains why, because there's a need, $1,500 needs. People are going to, I'm not buying a uh, car company stock because people don't need a second, third, fourth car that, but they, we've become to where we do need our phone. Okay. So great answer. Great answer. Love it. And it's true to form for Buffett, by the way. Now, Munger, Munger goes on to say, and then we'll stop here. I think one of the inane things taught in modern university education is that a vast diversification is absolutely mandatory in investing in common stocks. Oh, I love where he's going here. I've heard him and Buffett talk about this before, but uh, I think he's going someplace that they've talked about before. That is an insane idea. It is not that easy to have a vast plethora of good opportunities that are easily identified. And if you've only got three, I'd rather be in my best ideas instead of my worst. We make fewer mistakes than other people. We are not so smart, but we know the edge of our smartness. That is a very important part of practical intelligence. If you know the edge of your own ability, you should ignore most of the notions of experts about what I call diversification of portfolios. I love it. All right. Here's why I love this is that it goes in line with what they say. Know what you're buying. If there is minimal risk, if you know what you're getting into, doesn't mean risk doesn't exist. It means you're comfortable with what you're getting into. 
If you're not comfortable getting into it, you don't get into it because then that becomes risky because you're not comfortable with it. But if you know what you're getting into and you're comfortable with that, what risk are you taking? You're just making a decision to move forward. So what's happening in modern portfolio and university education, this is happening in Wall Street and financial planning. You see a lot of advisors where they have clients in diversified mutual fund, a a whole point of an ETF and a mutual fund. Again, this is not investment advice. This is education. The whole point of a mutual fund and ETF is a pooling of shares of, of companies. So you have a diversification in that mutual fund or that ETF. Now, there are certain focuses. So you can have a growth mutual fund. You can have a value mutual fund. You could have growth in income. You can have income. There's different points and purposes and outcomes of a particular mutual fund. But everything in that mutual fund meets that goal of what it is. So if you want a growth mutual fund, a lot of the companies in there have growth. Do you know all the companies that are being invested in that? If not, why are you allowing your advisor to put you in that mutual fund? Okay, so what they're saying is, hey, rather than do that, we got three really good ideas over here. These are three companies that they're growth companies. We understand the numbers. We understand their business model. Buffett didn't get into Apple. They didn't get into technology for years, even though people kept pressuring them. They're like, we don't get it. We don't understand it. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. And over the years, they started to learn more and more, as well as Apple started to adjust and change the way they did business as well to where Buffett and Munger go, this is a great business model. Look at these people. A new phone's coming out and they're lining up around the block at every Apple store. When a new new vehicle or a new TV comes out, people aren't lining up for that. Maybe a movie. They're like, man, and they're paying $1,500 for it. Hey, this makes sense. Let's go look at it a little bit more. Okay. So I love this answer because this is true to form to who they are. And it it really does debunk what common investment advice is. Now, the average person isn't going to do what Charlie and Warren talk about. They're not going to do it. Nor does the average advisor, to be honest with you. They use softwares and tools and Monte Carlos and algorithms. They use all these other tools, softwares, to make the decisions for them to minimize the risk of them saying, oh, yeah, I feel comfortable you doing this. And that's how the system works on the investment side of things. So nothing wrong with it. It's just how how it's designed. Because you and I or the average person doesn't give a rip about it. You're willing to have someone tell you what to do. Or I like the name of this, this fund in my 401k plan. I'm going to do that. Warren and Charlie, that's not what they do. They're looking at good companies that they'll spend a lifetime with. And how can you argue that when Charlie Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett have been business partners as long as they have? They're not just preaching. They're practicing what they're preaching. preaching. They're showing you day in and day out with their relationship with their with the the people on hand that are running the different units within the business. It's their culture and who they are. So thanks for joining us. Please be join us for the next one. Go ahead and subscribe so you get notified that we drop another episode and you're able to uh, join us for the next episode and we'll continue on with our Q&A of Warren and Charlie. Great information here and, and man if you don't think this isn't valuable this is really two PhDs in business going through this Q&As. Not me, but what their information that they're sharing so freely to the public, okay? 
That's what I love about this. It gives us the uh, the possibility, the empowerment of doing what they're teaching us. So look forward to talking to you and seeing you in the next time. All right. Welcome back to another podcast episode, Podcasts of Farming Assets. If you joined us for the first time, fantastic. Welcome. We're excited to have you. If you like the content, give us a thumbs up. Feel free to subscribe and feel free to share us as well. Don't keep a secret and give this podcast a link to other friends, family, and colleagues. Again, this is all for you guys and feel free not to keep us a secret. Share this episode with everybody you possibly can. 